I think on our last period night, um, I think we've gone with certain people. So maybe if someone came over to us, I might have had one right here. So my name is Allie, and I'm the ministers here along with Nick Johnson, who's over there with the seven and eight years. And if we're here to serve you, to partner with you as parents to serve your own people here at the church. And we're so grateful that you're here. Now, our parent nights is operating just a space to grow community with other parents. I'm really blessed as a mom of a three-year-old and a six-month-old that I have mothers and young children and groups that get together with the young moms who kind of grow community and ask questions of, how do we do this? What am I doing? And when I do this wrong, when I do this right, what's more helpful for you? But I think what we're really lacking is as our teenagers, as our kids get older, we kind of lose that community. There's not mothers of children that are teenagers. You're just kind of left to figure it out on your own. And, and we're really lacking in that. So this is the space for you to grow community with other parents um, to have conversations with how is this working for you? How can you learn to help your teens just kind of this weird, awkward state of life? What's working for you? What's all going for you? And it's also a space just for you to grow relationships with the Lord and really just here because you're, you're him, you're yourself. So I just have to announce this before we get into the night. The first one is a confirmation is coming up on April 25th at 7 p.m. We're going to be sending out a video for those of you that have eight third kids. A video next week that will go through the rehearsal. If you could do your part in making sure your student watches it, making sure you watch it, and making sure your student sponsor watches it. I'm really trying to be respectful to your time so that the sponsor doesn't have to come in for the rehearsal and be here for confirmation. But it's really important that you watch that video so you don't write a fool in front of our tradition. So please watch that video. We'll send it out next week. A big piece of that is the students will need to be here at 6.30 on the 25th um, to be ready for confirmation. But the confirmation ceremony mass does not start until 7 p.m. Um, and I'm assuming that you already bought outfits for your kids, but if men, if the boys can wear slacks, button-up shirt, tie, a suit jacket looks nice, but not mandatory, but you want to look good. It's a good confirmation. Um, I always tell the guys to do a number of black pants and black shoes, or wear black socks, not white socks. Um, but you want to look nice for general. For the women, um, dresses are what's most appropriate. Now, making sure that they cover their shoulders and dress all the way as close to the knee as you can get, and everything kind of needs to be covered from your shoulders to your knee. Um, they're going to do a lot of walking, bowing, kneeling, jamming, flexing. We don't want our, our young girls to be embarrassed by anything. So, that's kind of the dress, dress code. Um, and also, for the eighth grade students, your student after confirmation can now come to life team. We do not have a spiritual life team. Life team is our high school program for anybody in, entering high school to entering their freshman year of college. This is kind of trans- transitioning into summer. But this is a space for our young people to have community and have a positive experience of church. We will need that life team that will continue encounters Christ, that they can transform their culture, that they can transform their parish. There's something powerful that happens in a teenager when they encounter God. High school can be really, really messy, but it also can be so beautiful and so profound when a teenager encounters Christ. And like seeing our mission is 
Um, we are going to offer, life team, we are going to offer an authentic community that is rooted in the makers, and everything we do is to lead us to the Our vision is that, um, our vision is that, yeah, we can encounter Christ in our values, our sacramental, missionary, and authentic. Our teenagers right now, they're really good at meeting adults and authentic and hypocritical, and we want to offer a space that they can encounter truth and encounter what's most authentic. And we do that all through the sacraments, and we do that all through being missionary. What's been beautiful about Life Team is that we've been able to be missionary and have been uh, focused on evangelization. And we've seen the fruits of that here at Easter. We're going to have teenagers come uh, into the church, being baptized in other, um, other Christian denominations that have baptized at all, and are coming into the church this Easter. And we'll see that at the Easter vigil, which is beautiful. So we're doing really great things. Um, in our youth ministry, but what's most important is that we can be agents of helping you, that we can be partners along with you, because whatever we do here, when we get your team for an hour and a half a week, and it's not enough, you get them the entire, the entire rest of the week, and you mix it with sports and school, but it's you that has an impact on your team and how they can encounter Christ. And so we want to help send you up for success. Like I said, I want to be happy spirit. It's helped me set up for success to be a partner with you and, and help you bring your teams closer to Christ. So I just want to start out with just an intro question. Um, maybe the person that's in the queue with you or behind you or next to you or maybe not your spouse with you. If you're on the parish mission this week, you can ask these two questions. They're really profound to me. The first question is, what is something you what is something you are Please stubborn about. Well, something you're stubborn about. Um, my thing is when I'm ready to go to bed, please know I'm talking to you. It is like a ritual. I need to go to bed. Don't talk to me. Please don't touch me. Like I'm ready to go to bed. So what's something you're unreasonably stubborn about? And where in your life do you feel like you have to be strong? Where in your life do you feel like you have to be strong? Ready to go. You have like five minutes to do this. Ready? Right. All right. So maybe you've heard of an advertisement tonight. It is was labeled as theology of the body. And every year, Father Brian wants us to be speaking to our young people and speaking to our parents about what theology of the body is. If you were with us last year, we had a speaker that came and she talked about theology of the body, but she gave a lot of facts, she gave a lot of statistics, she gave a lot of teaching of what theology of the body is. And it was kind of like heady, but tonight it's really about like, what is your healing? What is your healing in the area of theology and body? What's your healing in the areas of sexual and relational brokenness? Because if we're not offering healing to our young people, we have to be healed ourselves. And so tonight is really, I'm going to invite you to think of tonight as a step away from, from the busyness of of your jobs, even family life, of what's going on in your social circles. And tonight, we're just with each other for an hour and 15 more minutes. And I just want to offer you a space of retreat for yourself. To really be curious about who you are, what's going on in your family, what's going on in your kid, but really curious about the healing that the Lord wants for you. And the healing that the Lord wants for you in your life. And it's just an hour and 15 minutes, and an hour and 15 minutes, you just need to be done. Okay? 
So I really, really encourage you, if you have put it away, if you have a smartwatch, put it on silent or do not disturb. Just be here. Just be present. And I also want to invite you to be a tendency that we have when things kind of get brought up or make us think about something. What we want to do is self-censor. A lot of times in this church, when I don't think about something, I count all the way in this room. And that's a tendency that we have just to push things down. But really what happened when I watched you tonight, if something comes up, or you just hold it up and just ask, ask the Lord about it. Why is this coming up for me? Why is this um, maybe causing anxiety or stress? What do you want from me here, Lord? So let's just pray. And after I pray, the speaker tonight, Marco, he's going to come up and just share with us. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come Holy Spirit, and ask you to just be here. As you speak through Marco, will speak through me. And I pray that you just call. give us all each one of us in this room to our hearts and receptivity. Will we do receive what you have for us? What you have for us, Lord, is always a gift of healing, always a gift of glory. Mother Mary, I ask that you could just love us tonight in places that we feel most wounded and most ashamed. As we say, Hail Mary, full of Hi, everybody. My name is Marco Castanova. I love how you are so Catholic because, like, the first pews are totally empty. I love it. I'm the same way. I'm just on the worst of them. When I go to Mass on Sunday, I work for the church, but when I go to Mass on Sunday, I'm like in the corner. I have to say, this place is incredible. I, I'm coming from like roadside little parishes, you know? This place is a stain of faith. It's beautiful. I remember when I first moved here to Kansas City about three years ago. I come here to Mass in the morning. I had an early, I think I saw an early Mass. And uh, I remember there were like amazing flower arrangements. It's a silly story. I'm like, those aren't good. And some people want them. I'm like, this place is incredible. You obviously have such an attention to worshiping Jesus with excellence. So thank you for that. It's a witness to the church. This is a statement. I love it. Exactly. I'm Marco Casanova, I'm an assistant director at Desert Street Ministries here in Kansas City, which is a ministry to the broken. We minister to those who suffer with sexual and relational brokenness. And what we do is we facilitate small groups in various churches throughout the world to uh, have a confidential, safe space for people to work out difficult areas in their relational and sexual needs, be it sexual addiction, marital struggle, same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, all of that in alignment with the church's teaching on human sexuality. We work to mobilize so our churches become healing centers for people. So, I come from Houston, Texas, and born in Houston, Texas. And I went to school in Philadelphia for about 10 years. I was in a seminary for um, And then I moved here Missouri, Missouri. And we moved here in Missouri about three years ago. Left the seminary. I was about to be a priest, right in the house. And I felt Jesus calling me out of the seminary. And I'll all these stats in that. So I speak to you, but now we say that as in this expert of theology of the body, although kind of intertwined some of the great cranial teachings of John Paul II throughout the morning. But the majority of my teaching will be my witness. 
of how I have encountered Jesus in a place where I didn't want him to encounter me. In a place where I felt the deepest shame and deepest inadequacy. And yet I found that this amazing Savior of ours was inviting me to open up precisely there. He was calling me, and the way Jesus calls us is, is ever so sweet. It's amazing. So I'm not here to give you tips and psychological helps of how to walk with your child if they're struggling with identification problems or any of that. I can offer maybe somewhat of an advice. I'm 29 years old. I'm not a parent. I don't know what it's like to raise a kid. But I do know what it's like to encounter Jesus in a shameful area. So I offer that to you. So put on that lens. I love this season of Lent. Actually, I don't really love Lent. I like Lent. I don't love Lent. I love Advent. There's something beautiful about it, you know. But Lent is a little bit more of the desert. There's something about Lent that just hurts a little bit more. And it's probably good that it hurts, right? It's probably good that we feel a pinch a little. I, I think pinch this year in particular. I love the cross, but again, it's this sort of very uncomfortable thing, this cross of Jesus. But the cross, what I love about the cross is that it has power to break the most difficult ground. The cross has the, has the power to break the most difficult ground. And Jesus' cross broke through for me in a very particular moment in my life. I remember the day. This ground was hardened by my bad shame and my secrecy. Shame. Shame is the raincoat of the soul. It propels the mercy of God. I think we can all relate to shame in various ways. Now, of course, there's good shame, right? I'm talking about bad shame. Good shame, obviously, is kind of the electrifying fence when we commit a particular moral sin. It's like, oh, I wish I didn't do that. That's good. I'm glad you have that type of shame. But bad shame is different. Bad shame in our life is layered, it's dynamic and complicated. There's a woman in the gospel, a Samaritan woman, who I so identify with. She's, she's my girl. There's something about her shame that is, is easily accessible. Of course, her shame is very particular, but I think we can all relate to it. The Samaritans were a mixed race. They were Judeo-believing, but also pagan. They were a mixture of people. They wanted to follow God, but yet they realized that they still liked the pagan practices. The Samaritans were known for that. Kind of that too. We're a mixture. It's called Netflix. You know what I mean? Like, you find yourself like so holy on Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. And then all of a sudden it's like, why am I on this next episode in 14 seconds? You know what I mean? Like, we're all a mixture of some sort. This is why the spiritual woman is an access point for us. But she was layered with shame, like I said. She had gender shame. She was shamed because she was a woman, and a woman in the ancient world was sort of seen as, as lesser than. She had ethnic shame. She was a Samaritan. Jews didn't like Samaritans. They didn't mix well. And Jesus, 
you can imagine it describes. So you guys are here. He seems probably pretty pretty captivating as a figure. You know, this is my guy. Oh, he has eyes and captivate this woman. And he's saying he obviously does. She she speaks to him. She allows him to encounter her. And he has the power to break through these levels of shame. Why are you talking to me? I'm a woman. Why are you speaking to me, a Jew, to a Samaritan? There's something disarming about this Jesus. He just comes closer to you. He wants to. He wants into her life. And then he says, call your husband. That's when she's like, I'm good there. There's moral shame. Yes, the gender shame. Yes, the, the hair ethnic shame. And now the moral shame. It's into the bedroom. And she's like, don't go there. And she's not. I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that's right, you don't have a husband. You have five husbands. And the man waiting for you in bed is not your husband. And there was something about that call of Jesus, this summoning something deeper still in this woman that was incredibly inviting for her. She realized, oh no, he knows me. And I can allow him to break even the deepest shame in my life if I have given space and room to do so. This Jesus, this Jesus calls her, calls her out of shame. Jesus has the power to call us out of shame. Jesus exposes us never to shame us, always to heal us. Jesus exposes us never to shame us, always to heal us. That is why the sacrament of confession exists. We expose ourselves not to be shamed, but to be healed. And this Jesus offers us this. It's too much. It's good. I felt this when I was in the seminary. This particular day, I was five years in the seminary. I, like I said, I remember this day. I was faced with a decision. Jesus wanted me to invite his cross into my life. He wanted me to invite his salvific love into my life. I was on the third day silent retreat. And I was, I was the, third, the third day. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I can do this. Not because the silence was too difficult. I just had these secrets that were screaming for redemption. And I saw the cross as pedagogy for my freedom. Jesus Christ crucified, picture of a free man. Naked, exposed, shamed, condemned to die in the death of a public sinner. He's showing me what he endured for my freedom and what he was calling me to participate in so that I can grab hold of my freedom. At this point in my seminary life, I was living in toxic duplicity. I had initiated pornography and masturbation as a normal way of dealing with my life. Whenever I would feel any stress, well, isolation, I would resort to crappy wells to try to fix the problem. It was a, my normal way of dealing with pain and emotions I didn't, I didn't want to face. 
And at this point in my seminary career, these potent medicines of pornography had, had gripped me and fed me, but also had, had, had catapulted me into another world of prostitution. I'd given myself to numerous men in homosexual pursuit. Sort of the gay hookup culture. I, I lost myself. I didn't know what to do. I felt irredeemable. I felt like Jesus wanted into my into my inner court. But I didn't want him to get in because I felt like he would damn me. Because I had already did myself. And all of this duplicity was done in the normality of my seminary life. I go from the altar that feeds to paying altars that just wouldn't satisfy. So this one was pretty blind and sin sick, but I was I was desperate. I needed to see to do something. And he was saying, Come on. Come out of shame. The cross says this words. When I looked upon the cross, I saw again this nakedness, this exposition, this immense shame. All things from which I protected myself. I had deep real need. I had deep wounds. I was broken in my open pursuit of love. My fear of the cross became more of a magnetic pool, a pool to, to mercy, a pool to salvation. The cross's demands unleashed this incredible mercy in my life, restored authority to crush the altars that just did not save, and restored my, my vision for my humanity. St. Faustina, how we know her, she has this diary of divine mercy. Honestly, I didn't think used to like divine mercy too popular. You got all these parishes with this huge imposing picture of divine mercy where I get it, proper savior, too much. But I read her diary and she wanted me. She says, This is the father who fights for me across the nerves. This is the father who fights for me, who takes you out of your shame. I need someone bigger, stronger than me to take me out of my shame. So the cross is showing me that my woundedness need not be wickedness. Yes, it's okay to be fractured, it's okay to be weak, but I need not be wicked in my woundedness. So kind of coming into the light as a seminarian, not only released me from the scene of guilt, but it was also training me to see other people in the right order. Honestly, you would know this if you, if you had a history of uh, sex addiction or, or sexual sin. It, it so tarnishes your view of humanity. It so tarnishes your view of humanity. When you misuse another, when you're kind of drunk on pornography all of the time, it just, it, it, it totally, it totally uh, tarnishes your view of everybody around you. He is saving even from that. What's like, hey, pray away, once God was like, no Lord, this is me. I'm not the Samaritan one. I need living water. I need water that will never, ever dry up. I need water that will quench the thirst. Jesus help me. 
Don't get hung up on the same sex thing. I know some are probably thinking, well, that is dramatic. It's not me. It's okay. It's not your story. Just insert your story. Insert your particular fractures that are in need of Jesus. All of us are in need of a savior. Chastity is an equal opportunity offender. Because we all have bodies. And Jesus wants us to be reconciled to the good of these bodies, be it a masculine frame or a feminine frame. He wants us to be gifts in these bodies. It's just that the other body is not a mere hobby. Like, oh, yeah, you're really interested in my kind of sex stuff. It's like, no, we have to live with this. So I, I have to be reconciled to it. It's actually a part of the whole redemptive story. St. Gregory of Nazianzus says that that which he has not assumed cannot be redeemed. Jesus assumed a sexual human nature, not to free us from our bodies, but to free us for our bodies. That's why Christmas is such a scandal. You think about it. On this babe of Bethlehem, he assumed a sexual body to free us for ours. You can imagine this, this God of the universe becoming a little baby. I mean, there's, there's something scandalous on so many levels of that. But the fact that the Israelites had struggled so much with their sexuality, sex was kind of a don't touch it thing. Throughout all the Old Testament, you find them failing again and again and again. Baal and Asherah, you see these narratives within biblical history. And it's all speaking to fertility gods and goddesses. That's why the pagans were so attractive. It's because their temples, they had sex. There was something attractive about it. And so God did bypass the problem. He entered into it. He didn't bypass the problem by just sort of magically saying that human nature is good. He assumed it as his own. And that's what he wants to do in our own brokenness. I saw it in my life. He wanted to assume, he wanted to assume my brokenness as his own. At the end of this talk, I'm going to offer just a, a brief time of question and answer. So please think about it. If you don't have questions today, worries, you may be ready to start. We'll move on to the next thing, you know. But if you have questions, we be like, you know, be courageous and ask it. You know what I mean? Whenever I go to Catholic events, I'm so glad I'm on this side. I go on the other side, I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm never asked a question. You know what I mean? So please think about it. If there's ever a question that comes up in the course of this talk, keep it in your mind. Write it down. I'll only bring it up in you to ask it. The cross is divine mercy. Again, we go back to this picture. And if, you, if, you, if you've seen the, the Divine Mercy, it's, it's, it's an incredibly attractive painting, but it's beautiful, right? It'll be this. Well, like, the paintings are simple. They just, it shows very simply Jesus risen from the dead. He's wounded, his wounds in his hands, and his, his, his heart, which there's rays of blood and water coming from his heart. It's amazing. It's a beautiful picture. It's inviting, but it's also demanding. I found that divine mercy was inviting, but demanding. Demanding that it had the power to actually call me higher 
as a man. We cannot understand the need of the cross without referring first and foremost to our fundamental innocence. So give me a chance to this. kind of like, words that I'm like, no one ever uses. It would jump all the sentences. There's something deeper still in our fashion. Jump all the sentences clear about this theology of the body that we participate in a heritage of sinfulness. We're all born into a sort of sinful humanity. We can all feel right? This is our inheritance as fallen humanity. Each of us touched by the wound of corruption. I mean, it's all around us. When you watch the Oscar, it's all around us. There's a, there's a wound of corruption that's just screaming at times, amplified, more amplified at sometimes than others. And each of us has a particular place in Jesus redeeming mercy. No one is exempt. So if we start there, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Each of us has a heritage of sinfulness. Of course, we all sin differently. But then that means that each of us has a place in the mercy of God. We participate in the mercy of God as subject and co-creator. John Paul says. Subject in that we get to receive. We get to be subject to the mercy of God. Amen. It's beautiful. But co-creator in that we actually have to activate. We actually have to activate the mercy of God. Yes, he wants to give it to us. He wants us to receive it equally. But we actually have to activate it. This is where confession is so important. And tonight, what do you think? There are some areas of sin I've never confessed before. Activate the mercy of God. Go to confession. Maybe you haven't been in years. Go. Allow this merciful Jesus to encounter you, maybe in places you've never been in. He wants to assume it, to redeem it. Amen. His mercy, not only releasing us from familiar guilt, his cross also defines. This was difficult for me. The cross wanted to define me. I had always just internally thought, you know, I'm a Buddhist gay. You know, I'm a Buddhist gay man. And that's that. I never really came out this gay. It wasn't my thing. I was in the seminary, so I kind of closed the difficult thing. But I just felt like, you know, there's something, there's just something intrinsically you know, gay about my identification, my sexual identification. And Jesus was saying, oh, you give that to me. When you surrender to me, you allow me to identify you. I don't see you as a fracture, I see you as a son. He wanted me to give him space to identify me. I didn't know what that meant. I, I didn't know what that meant, but I knew Clearly, the teaching of the church and what Jesus was calling me to surrender more deeply to him. He wanted to define me now. He wanted to speak over me the truth of my masculine identification. I didn't know what that meant, but I knew that I trusted Jesus enough to allow him to eat you. The woman of same sex attraction is deep. I feel that. But he, what he wants to do is love me, love you there, where you feel like I just can't be different. I'm just damnable by nature. I just can't change it. Jesus is saying, no, I will love you there. I will love you there. Jesus' whole mission is to come and to remind us of our identities. 
And the more he reminds me of my identification, I hope the more I can hopefully be a strong father in the world. David is amazing, we're all from Philly. Um, we've obviously walked out my kids enough to where I can be a great day for that decision. It's possible. It's honestly a world is so inundated by such a fatalism when it comes to same sex desires. It's like, oh, well, I guess you're part of that LGBT thing. It's like, well, the church says otherwise. And that's, I, I found freedom in that. It's something to walk out, just gaps in my identification, gaps in my psycholo- psychological well being. It's something just to become a little robust kid. Marco Casanova. I mean, I'm not doing work those. You know, like, that's just my heart. And giving that to Jesus has really helped me to, to become the man that I am today. And, you know, what I've learned in all of this is that Jesus wants us to take responsibility for our healing. John Paul II says, to diminish responsibility is to diminish personality. We're all called to take responsibility for our robust becoming who we are. And in that taking of responsibility, we actually unleash mercy in our lives. One way that I see this done is doing with the wives. So I run the women's group in Westport um, at the Lady of the Council, and you've been there, you've perished. And a lot of Catholic women adults are just coming out of the doorway saying, hey, I want to be free from this. I want to be free. I want to overcome homosexual stuff. I want to be free from pornography. I wish you want to go for eight years out. It's all this amazing raw data that Jesus wants to finally encounter for these young people. And something in Kansas City, I would say, it's crazy amazing. Uh, coming from Texas, like, yeah, it's good. Coming from Philadelphia, yeah, it's not bad. Kansas City, there's something about the faith here that is so accessible and ready for the transforming power of Jesus. So what I want to say, and I'm going to invite Alex to give a little testimony um, about living waters. I want to invite you to living waters. You don't have to do my group. Like, all right, I'm going to go to 29 or 29 or 29 or 29 or 29 or Say Thomas more, extra anything. If there's an area in your life that you're like, you know, I want to work, I want to bring that to a confidential space. I want to kick that back out. I want to be a better husband in my life. I want to be a better bride in my life. Whatever the case might be, I want to invite you to use that as a resource. Because the truth is, heal people, heal people. Especially your children. Your children deserve it. Maybe, you know, I remember when I found my father's pornography and I, all of that can be redeemed by your entering into healing waters. Instead of a generation of curses, we can reverse it with a generation of blessing. The power of merciful Jesus can be right. Yeah, 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 Ali is. I have a little son, Calvin. He's three and a half before, and that is wild. Um, today he had red sweatpants on, a red Spider-Man shirt that was like stiff, so it looked like he had like muscles. Um, he had a Spider-Man coat on, he had Spider-Man boots, and a Spider-Man backpack. <laughs> he, he is awesome. Um, I have, I didn't put my phone up, but like Captain America, superhero stuff, like all around my house, on my phone. Stairs everywhere. Um, I also have a, so that's how um, six month old Colby. He was born in September, and they're just, just beautiful gifts to me. 
And I didn't want you to kind of think about like your kid when they were three, when they were six months. Like, what was going through your brain when you first tell them? When <laughs> you didn't tell them, like, this is a story that you asked about later, but like, he did his hair on fire the other day. Crazy. But like, in that, I was just like, Calvin, like, he's so, just like, such, just this gift to me. And everything that he does, and he's so playful, and he's so good. And in the morning, whenever he dressed, and like, when I'm looking in the mirror, I'm like, gosh, I hate this outfit I wore twice last week, and I'm wearing it again. Like, uh, he just looks at me and says, Mama, you are so beautiful. There's just so, like, there's a purity about Calvin. And I don't know where you were, like, when you were in my, like, my seat as a young mom, or a young dad, you were here. And as, as I had Calvin, especially as I was working with Colby, and as I was having Colby, there was just like this kind of unleashing in me, like, I want to be a really good mom. And I want to give blessings to Calvin, and I want to give blessings to Colby, but I didn't even know yet. I want to be good for them. And also, like, as I was having kids, and as I was a young wife, too, there was this tension that came up of, I think when we were close to other people, it kind of intensifies it. It has a blessing in our life, but in ways that we didn't receive blessing. And I found a lot of insecurity in our relationship with my husband. He's a good man, he's a holy man. Like, our, our relationship was not in a prayer, like the way that we love the Lord and, and the church. But as, as we like, became closer, this intensity, this um, thing was aligned with me, and the Lord didn't receive blessing. And I have a lot of insecurity in, in our sexual relationship and just our day-to-day relationship of, of insecurity. Then as a mom, man, I am so afraid that I'm going to ruin this purity of Calvin, this purity of Colby. And, and, and it was just kind of this desperation. I need something. And as I was having kids, too, and my mom, she would come and help around. And then they would be like, okay, this is all parent. There's a lot of truth to that. When my mom would pull me for an animal cow that was more, she was like, she would always say this narrative of, gosh, you have such good kids. Like, they don't really cry, they're really calm. So like, when you were a kid, you cried all the time. But I had my brother, he's older than me, mine. Like, why? Like, he's such a calm kid, just like Calvin. He's just like, well, he never cried. He slept really well with you. You cried all the time. And she's like, you never get me to stop. And it was and it just made me never want to have kids again. And like for us, like as, as parents, we're like, oh, yeah, that is exhausting. But it, it sure made me like, my mom's been saying that to me since I was a baby. And I think whenever like the enemy wants to come in and try to speak lies to us, this moment when my mom and my dad are supposed to be images of the Lord, and of course we're human, we're going to mess up. We're not perfect like Jesus. But when my mom like, kept repeating that over and over again, gosh, I have such a burden, I have such uh, a cry all the time, like she didn't want to have kids in it because I was so annoying, it, it kind of ended me with this foot in the door of, Ellie, you're a burden just because of who you are. You're not a good gift. You've actually made people like hate other people. And there's something that's like wounds that came up inside of me that kind of festered into my relationship with my husband, my relationship with my kids. And, and also my mom. 
this morning actually showed up a lot with rage and anger. And as we move on this new life, you can see this anger, this rage rising up in me. And it's thing that I swore that I never wanted to be like that. I felt like I could start to become. And it started this like questioning throughout my life. Like, am I really like more myself? Like, am I a good gift? Could I be a good gift? And as a mom and as a wife, I'm like, is this, is this going to be possible? Or am I just going to continue a generation of living for my own children? And I had a friend who we were kind of asking the same questions, and she kind of said, has a similar relationship with her parents, which on the series I do. And we were having these questions of like, what do we do? Like, what do we say? Like, what's there things to say? And all this stuff. And it just clicked on us. Marco said this, like, heals people and heal people. But as parents, we can't know everything. We can't be psychologists and doctors and teachers all at the same time, but we can invest in our own healing and our relationship with the Lord and pass on that blessing to our kids. And so the Lord just gave me and brought to me agents of healing. Like I said, my friends have healed people, heal people. And she and I both just entered into this, okay, let's get after this with the Lord and with each other. And then I was able to bring this forgiveness to the Lord and through, through prayer, through therapy, but also through living waters, to be able to just receive blessing and receive the truth and the gift of who I am so that I can give that to my children. And I hope, like, and I hope that I can be an agent of blessing for Calvin and for Colby and for other many children that we have. I hope that like, I can be like a Calvin's teenager, I can be a space for him that feels safe. I hope instead of rage and anger, I can give him peace and calm. For him, I do my best up in anger, I'm able to say sorry and give an apology, which I wish I would have had for my mom. So I think an apology is even more restorative than anything. And, and I don't know, like, kind of where you sit tonight of where you're at with your relationship with your kid, or like, I'm the best parent ever, and it's not good to you, my kid and I are best friends. There's always something more going on with your teenager. There's always something that maybe you don't know about or what's going on in your life. And there's probably stuff that, like, really puts you wrong about your sympathy career. But what is it about you that's, that's happening and that comes up? And I just offered us to just like give back to the Lord. And give back to the kid and just like just blessing over them and not curses or goodness. Um, yeah, that's what I want to say. Thank you. Thank you. So I'll just leave it with this. Um, as Catholics, we have such a, a rich treasury of healing medicine. Confession and plead of the Eucharist allows me to say healing, healing thing. I feel like the Eucharist um, unites with the divine. They say when John Paul II received the Eucharist, he would go, something about the Savior coming into our deepest hearts and just uniting with our divine. And of course, I can't. Express even enough. What a confession. It's the sacrament of healing. Be able to exchange that which shames us for something, someone, so much more. I'm going to do the bold ask of asking the questions. Alright, this is a good question. Please put your name or comment. 
But Jesus gave me the wherewithal to really move here to Kansas City, find a good kingdom, good Catholic families, and continue uh, to walk out. And I've been walking out since, and I moved here to Kansas City, and that was interesting too, because it was like, now I'm free to date. Wow, like I was shackled by the seminary, I could really give myself as a boyfriend. That was interesting too. That was the whole thing walk out, the rejection of that. These amazing Catholic women were like, I'm not willing to really, like, kind of be with you, struggle in this way. So all of that, the rejection, the fortitude, the resilience, Jesus giving us the, the real virtue training to stand as an integral man. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been a journey, it's been great, it's been an adventure, it's been difficult. But um, I really believe that my healing has, has been found in the Catholic Church. And there's no two ways about it. So many people are like, oh, that Catholic Church wounded me. I found it really wounded. So I, I, want, I want to dedicate my life to ensure that people find healing here. So how can I answer this question? It obviously can be much more dynamic if uh, you know, I had to Thank you. Wow, you are you're courageous. Let's see this guy on the box. Pray, let's pray. We pray for you. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Come on, Spirit. Jesus, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us. We welcome you, God. Ask so that you would rebuke your name in Jesus' name. Any thoughts of anxiety, or discouragement, or bad shame, just not welcome you. Thank you, Lord, for your gaze, your eyes that look upon us, not in shame, but in love. I ask that you would give us a special grace to this night to offer to you, even if it's a little bit, to offer to you, Jesus, that which burdens us, that which we regret, that which we fixed upon that which you bury. Help us to offer it to you tonight. Just simply. Doesn't have to be difficult. Doesn't have to be dramatic. But to say, no, Jesus, give it to you. And I'm in. Would you give us that risk? So I just want to give you some kind of tips and tricks and just a conversation with your team as well. Um, you have, so some of you, your teams are over in the cafeteria and they'll have a drive home together. So they're hearing a similar message, like what Marcus said, an age-appropriate message tonight, uh, but they're a good gift. Um, but 
ways for us to confession similar but age appropriate. Um, but what's that conversation tonight look like as you drive home with your kid or maybe you meet them and there's a homework? I think a really good uh, play for you would be to just stop and get ice cream on your way home. Hey, what you hear tonight in this message? Hey, how are you doing? It's very rare that we just get to have time with our team. Another thing I want to offer you is we sent out, um, I think this week and last week, um, a, a message about mental health, and it lines up really well with uh, what we're speaking about tonight and how to minister to your teens. And a lot of the things that our teens really just need is for you to be there and for you to listen. For us as parents, we want to fix it for our kids, but they really just want you to listen. And if we can do our best just to offer spaces for them to be heard, like turning the music off in the car and saying, hey, how was your day? Or going and sitting in ice cream with really no agenda, so I have to talk and just be there for them. I think another thing, maybe to open up a conversation in an area of blessing, because it might sound weird and around me the practice of it, but how beautiful would it be if you wrote a letter to your team just about how beautiful and amazing that they are? If we don't want to get that, we're like, oh, my kid knows it, but Something really beautiful about the written word, something that they hold and cherish and look at and go back to. A, a, a dad just giving a blessing over them, or a mom giving a blessing over them. Just start the letter Hey, I love you. Here's what I thought about when I helped you for the first time. Here's the good things that I see in you. Don't use that as a time to like shame them or challenge them, but just bring out the good in who they are. So, um, we're just going to give you a space uh, just for about, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes. And we have um, a music that we're going to play, but I need it out of a card for you. And it has three questions on it. And I'll walk around and I have hands sitting in the room. And if you need a hand, just raise your hand as, as I walk by. But really reflect on this. Because parents, it's really hard to call out time just to be with the Lord, just to be still, or just to be quiet. You've carved out an hour tonight. They're out of half tonight, and I'm going to give you 15, 20 minutes just to pray. Um, and then later on, we're going to invite some students to meet too, but just kind of just meet. Don't leave because there's more. Do you know Use this opportunity to pray. The other thing, if you flip the, the card over, Margaret talks about confessions. And these are all of the confessions that are kind of left. These are in Lent. Um, all across Johnson County, Kansas City area, that you can go to in the next couple of weeks that are offering confessions. So, go. so I just want to begin in the heart of the Holy Spirit. Lord, the best thing that we can do tonight, the best thing that we can do today is just put ourselves in front of you. You're here present in the Eucharist, and you want to cast out all shame, all fear, and actually, Lord, you want to speak blessing over us. Yeah, we're parents, yeah, we're adults, but we're your children, your daughters, and your sons. And we need our Father to speak blessing for us tonight that we're good, that we're loved, that we're seen, that we're known, that we're understood, that you're fighting for us, Lord. Thank mm-hmm. you. 